0: Dr. O'Donnell will now present Professor Rice and confer the degree, Doctor of Humane Letters, Honoris Causa. Thank you, Dr. Snyder. Dr. Charles Rice has been a good friend of Christendom College over the years, a little bit of background about him. Charles E. Rice is Professor Emeritus at the University of Notre Dame Law School. His area of specializations are constitutional law and jurisprudence. He currently is teaching a course entitled Law and Morality at Notre Dame. I'm sure it has nothing to do with student life. (laughs) That's okay to laugh at that, isn't it? All right. (laughs) Dr. Rice was born in 1931. That's before Benny Goodman. He received the B.A. degree from the College of the Holy Cross, the J.D. from Boston College Law School, and his J.S.D. from New York State University. He served in the United States Marine Corps, and is a Lieutenant Colonel in the Marine Corps Reserve, retired. He practiced law in New York City, taught at New York University Law School, and also Fordham Law School. He joined the Faculty of Law at Notre Dame in 1969, that year of social chaos. He served for eight years as State Vice Chairman of the New York State Conservative Party. From 1981 to 1993, Dr. Rice was a member of the Education Appeal Board of the United States Department of Education. He has served as a consultant to the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights and to various congressional committees on constitutional issues. And he is the editor of the American Journal of Jurisprudence. He has a 13-part series which is still showing on EWTN entitled, The Good Code, The Natural Law, and it is available through EWTN. Among his books, he has written Freedom of Association, published by New York University Press, The Supreme Court and Public Prayer, published by Fordham University Press. The vanishing right to live, an appeal for a renewed reverence for life. Authority and rebellion, the case for orthodoxy in the Catholic Church. Beyond abortion, the theory and practice of the secular state. No exception, a pro-life imperative. 50 questions on the natural law, what it is and why we need it and The Winning Side, Questions on Living the Culture of Life. His latest books, the first one, Where Did I Come From? Where Am I Going? How Do I Get There? Charlie, it sounds like a visit to Front Royal, but uh, (laughs) he co-authored that with Dr. Teresa Farnan. And most recently, which is doing very well, very important work, What Happened to Notre Dame? Those last two books were published by St. Augustine Press in 2009, and it makes for a great read. I encourage all of you to pick up a copy. He has also published many articles in numerous scholarly publications on a wide variety of topics. He has also authored numerous briefs in the United States Supreme Court and for other courts on constitutional issues. And I have to mention this for the sake of Father Guy, Dr. Rice is also the faculty advisor and assistant coach of the Notre Dame Boxing Club. So perhaps after commencement, the two of you might get together for a little demonstration, perhaps. He has been a member for many years of the Christendom College Advisory Board. He and his wife, Mary, have 10 children and reside in Indiana. During the dark days and chaotic days of the 60s and 70s, He has stood tall as a beacon of light and fidelity in our church and society. We are deeply honored to have him with us here today. By virtue of the authority vested in me by the Board of Directors and the Commonwealth of Virginia, I confer upon Charles E. Rice the degree Doctor of Humane Letters Honoris Causa with all the rights, honors, and privileges pertaining to that dignity since he has completed and fulfilled in singular fashion all the statutory requirements, in testimony of which these letters are given under the seal of the college and the signatures of the president and vice president for academic affairs, given at Christendom College in Front Royal on the 15th day of May in the year of our Lord, 2010. Congratulations, Dr. Rice.
1: Thank you very much, Tim. Uh, It's great to be here. Uh, I uh, I, I have seen the original Christendom College. Uh, It began in 1977 in St. Francis Parish in Triangle, Virginia. And when uh, we were at Quantico, uh, I was stationed there for two years. That was our parish. And I went back there after 77 on various reserve assignments and actually went back to St. Francis and saw Christendom College. Uh, it's a little different today, <laughs> but it's it's great to be here. It really, uh, really is. And um, I would I would actually prefer to uh, sit down and uh, hear some more of that introduction. I kind of liked it. <laughs> uh, the um, the thing is, when President O'Donnell asked me um, to deliver this uh, address, I, I had a question. I, I said, "Will there be a protest? <laughs> and will you prosecute the protesters, <laughs> or at least 88 of them?" Uh, he gave no uh, he gave no uh, commitment, uh, but I accepted anyway. And uh, I have a text, actually, with footnotes. Uh, I'm going to cover all the points, but I'm not going to read it to you. It would put you to sleep. It's 85,000 words. Uh, It would put me to sleep. So what am I going to tell you? This is a time of crises. It really is. The culture is a mess. The economy is a mess. The government is out of control. And over the last three years, Notre Dame lost 21 football games. (laughs) So I. I'm here to tell you, however, that this is a great time. No kidding. Let's get into it. I'm here to tell you that this is a great time for us to be here, and especially you graduates of this really authentic Catholic college. It's a great time because the answer to the meltdown that we see all around us today is in Jesus Christ and in the teachings of the Catholic Church. So let's look bluntly at the situation and what you people can do about it. We are living through a transformation of the federal government. And it is promoted to a great extent by Catholics. It's a transformation where a one party government, the leader of which Was elected with 54% of the Catholic vote, is changing uh, our free economy and limited government into a centralized command state of potentially unlimited jurisdiction. The health care bill that was adopted in the Congress, uh, you know, the details and, and, and all that. It was adopted uh, through the efforts largely of, uh, of Catholics. And what uh, what it did was uh, uh, violate, in the most basic sense, the principles of legislative process. And it was adopted through a, through a level of of uh, bribery, coercion, and deception that is as as open as it was unprecedented in our entire history. So to find a, a counterpart to to this, to find a, a, a similar rapid consolidation of power by, a legally instituted regime. We have to go back to 1933. Adolf Hitler was appointed chancellor on January 30th. For the next two weeks, he consolidated his power. The decisive event was on March 23rd when the Reichstag passed the Enabling Act, which conferred on him full and irrevocable power. That was the point of no return. The Enabling Act was adopted. It achieved the two-thirds majority it required only because it was supported by the Catholic Center Party. Our health care reform may be the Enabling Act of our time in terms of the control that it gives government over the lives of the people. And when you you, know, you look at the, uh, you know, the Enabling Act, and you look at the Health Care Act, and you say, well, what is going on? Think about this. The Health Care Act includes Federal, a federal takeover of student loans. And you might ask, you say, well, what do student loans have to do with health care? And the common denominator is control. Henceforth, no student will be able to get a guaranteed federal loan without the consent of a federal bureaucrat. This opens the way to this or a future administration, to make political loyalty the test of educational advancement, which is what was done in Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union. So you look, uh, you look at that, and you say, "Well, what can we do?" We have legal recourse, unlike the German people back then, and I. <laughs> I, I, full disclosure, I have to tell you, I'm a Tea Party guy. Uh,
0: uh,
1: I've, I've been there, done that, and I'm going to do it again. Uh, and it, it, it may be that, that this November, the reaction will dislodge the congressional wing of our ruling elites. But that reaction is going to be just temporary, unless it goes to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is not economic, and it's not politics. Do you know the derivation of the word politics? Do you know what it is? It's easy. Poly means many. Ticks are little blood-sucking creatures. <laughs> <laughs> But, but the problem is religious. I mean, Father Eisenhower said a while ago he said the social crisis occurs when we elect immoral people to rule over us. And the reason we elect immoral people is that voters have lost the moral bearing to elect moral people. So that the. Uh, um, immoral lifestyles produce immoral leaders. And he said the remedy is a return to God. It's conversion. And he's right. And We have, to, we have the Constitution and we, 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 you know, we rightly insist on returning to the principles of the Constitution. But let's understand, no Constitution can survive the disappearance of the morality that produced it. In 2001, John Paul was in Kazakhstan 13 days after 9-11. And he told the leaders of that Islamic Republic, he warned them against what he called a slavish conformity to Western culture. He said, they have great scientific advancement but they are morally, spiritually, and humanly impoverished because of the fatal attempt to secure the good of humanity by repudiating God, the supreme good. And when we, you know, we we look at the uh, culture that you people are going into, it's a culture that in, in which the intentional Infliction of death on the innocent is widely regarded as an optional problem-solving technique. Columbine set a precedent. If you don't like your schoolmates, your fellow employees, or IRS agents, you blow them away. Abortion is the classic example of the execution of the innocent as a problem-solving technique. And we're talking about a situation where Terry Schiavo, this remarkable case, well, that happens every day. It happens every day, whenever, without public notice, whenever the family and the caregivers agree to withhold food and water because it would be better for the patient to have death with dignity. And this is uh, the culture in which uh, you're moving. And the thing is that there's, there's no mystery about it. Father Frank Kahneman, the great Jesuit from Fordham, said that we are living through the fag end of the Enlightenment, the dying phase of the effort by philosophers and politicians to build a society without God. And it's based on three lies. They are first, secularism, second, relativism, and third, individualism. These are the components of what Benedict called the dictatorship of relativism. And your job, for which you're well-equipped here at Krishna, your job is to counter those lies with the truth. Because those lies are weapons deployed by Satan, who is our adversary. And when you speak the truth, you're going to have an impact beyond what you know. Cardinal Edouard Gagnon recounted a conversation he had with John Paul. I can read it to you, but I'll I'll tell you what he said. He said, the Pope said to me, and he's quoting the Pope, he said, the Pope said to me, error makes its way because the truth is not taught. Do not spend your time rebutting the errors of those who are wrong. There are so many, that would never end. Instead," teach the truth. When you teach the truth, the grace goes with it. That person may not accept it at that time, but that grace will be there, and later when he needs it, that grace will open his heart and his mind to the truth. But if you don't speak the truth, no grace goes with it. This is very useful, I think, for us. We're talking about faith. We're talking about Christ. And Christ is, is Jesus Christ is not some lawyer or CEO or community organizer. He's God. Cardinal Dulles stated three fundamental principles. He said, first, there's a God. Second, he has made a full and final revelation of himself in Jesus Christ. And three, the Catholic Church is the authorized custodian and teacher of that revelation. So your job is to tell that truth and not to be conned by these lies. The first lie is, is very quickly, the first lie is secularism. They tell you that there is no God or he is unknowable. and They tell you that that's what the First Amendment means, but that too is a lie. On September 24th and 25th, 1789, I remember it well. <laughs> the first Congress did two things. They adopted the First Amendment and they called on the president to proclaim a National Day of Prayer. President Washington did so. And the purpose of the First Amendment was to maintain federal government neutrality among sects while preserving the ability of federal and state governments not only to affirm the existence of God, but also to pray. Our Supreme Court now has changed that to require a bogus neutrality, an impossible neutrality between theism and non theism. Justice Brennan accurately stated what is still the Supreme Court position when he said the words under God don't have to come out of the Pledge of Allegiance because they may merely mean that this nation was believed to have been founded under God. The suspension of, gov- of judgment on the existence of God is, is a, an establishment of an agnostic secularism. And you know what it's based on? It's based on the idea that any affirmations of God are non-rational, and that's, that's a lie. The existence of God is not self-evident, but it's unreasonable, it's stupid. Not to believe that there was an eternal being that always existed and had no beginning. That's God. The alternative is that there was a time when there was nothing. What do you think about this? And it, it, It's will blow your mind. You walk around, don't get hit by a truck while you're doing it, but you, <laughs> think about it. Imagine if you can, a time when there was absolutely nothing. And if there was a time when there was absolutely nothing, there couldn't be anything. How many in here have seen The Sound of Music? Yeah, all right, all right. You remember that scene down by the lake where the guy proposes to Julie Andrews, right? And she thinks that's pretty neat. (laughs) And she breaks into song, (laughs) right? What did she sing? Climactic scene of the whole movie. (laughs) What did she say? Yeah, she she said, "How is this happening to me?" She said, "Somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good." And then the punchline: "Nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever could." That's classic, Thomas Aquinas. It is. It is. I uh, and I I have to I have to confess I. Uh, uh, I like to cite Aquinas and and refer to him. Some of you may know, St. Thomas Aquinas was a graduate of Notre Dame Law School. (laughs) He was. I had him in torts. He got a B. But uh, listen, don't let them con you, all right? The only basis, why do you have rights against the state? The only basis for transcendent rights against the state is the creation of the immortal human being in the image and likeness of God. Every state that has ever existed has gone out of business or will go out of business. Every human being who has ever been conceived will live forever. That's the basis for transcendent rights. The person does not exist for the state. The state exists for the person and for the family. The second lie of Satan here is relativism. The statement that all things are relative is absurd because that statement must also be relative. And the jurisprudence of relativism is legal positivism, where there's... No higher standard than the law where all that it takes for a law to be valid is that it be enacted by the the prescribed procedure and be effective. Hans Kelsen, the leading legal positivist of the 20th century, was an honest guy. After the Second World War, he said Auschwitz and the Soviet gulag were valid law. He could not criticize them as being unjust because he said, and I quote, justice is an irrational ideal. He thought justice was the basis for democracy. John Paul set him straight. He said, no, if there's no acknowledged transcendent morality, then it all becomes a question of power and relativism leads to totalitarianism. And that's true. And you're... Going to be under pressure to be a relativist, to lie, to cheat, to steal. You know from Veritatis Splendor and from common sense that the negative prohibitions of the commandments, which are specifications of the natural law, allow no exceptions. But you're going to pay a price for your fidelity. Let me tell you a story. Captain James Mulligan, from Virginia, was shot down in Vietnam in 1966. He spent seven years in the Hanoi Hilton, half of them in solitary confinement. For a time, he was the cellmate of future Senator Jeremiah Denton. And he and his fellow prisoners were severely and often tortured to make him betray his fellow prisoners or his country. And under torture, he composed a prayer. He he, he kept himself going throughout the whole ordeal by prayer, especially the rosary. And under torture, he breathed this prayer, which we ought to make our own. He said, Lord, give me the strength and the guts to see this thing through to the end, one way or the other. No one else knows, Lord, but you and I know, and that's all that's necessary. You suffered for your beliefs. I must suffer for mine. Right is right if no one's right. Wrong is wrong if everyone's wrong. And that's the answer to relativism. The third lie is individualism. The social contract theorists deny the social nature of man. They tell us that there was this mythical state of nature in which the the person was an isolated individual just milling around with no relation to others unless he consents. That's the origin of pro-choice. Planned Parenthood didn't think it up. The the mother has no relation to the child in her womb unless she consents. The husband and wife have no continuing relation unless they continue to consent. And the individual is God. Conscience is no longer an act of judgment as to the rightness or wrongness of an act. It's a an exercise of the unfettered will and whatever the individual chooses is right for him. And they, they say that you're going to be told that that's freedom for freedom, cannot be separated from the truth. Look, you're free to choose to put sand in the gas tank of your car but you will no longer be free to drive your car because you have violated the truth of the nature of your car. You're free to lie, to fornicate, to steal, but you will be diminished because you have violated the truth of your nature. And that is very important. The one thing that the autonomous individual can never do, think about this, They <laughs> say, I can, I'm in charge. He can never put himself out of existence. Whether he likes it or not, he's gonna live forever. Where he spends that eternity is up to him. See, we have, an, we Catholics have, An inferiority complex. We think the smart guys are the academics who think that something can come from nothing, who are absolutely sure that they can't be sure of anything, and who think that freedom means their ability, their right to do whatever they want without restriction. And we need to recognize that this generation, this culture, has lost not only its faith, but also its mind. And what they need is the truth. And they need that truth, especially with respect to the right to life. But there, we have a problem. Our pro-life efforts are compromised by our timidity on contraception the unspoken issue. The Anglican Lambeth Conference was the first time any Christian denomination had ever said that contraception could ever be objectively right. The Catholic Church continues to teach the, the truth. Contraception is wrong first, it, separates the, it deliberately separates the unitive and procreative aspects of sex. Secondly, by so changing the conjugal act, the man and the woman make themselves rather than God, the arbiter of when life begins. And third, it frustrates the total mutual self-donation that ought to characterize the conjugal act. And if, you are, if you make yourself the arbiter of when life begins, you're going to make yourself the arbiter of when it ends, as in abortion and euthanasia. John Paul said, "Abortion." and contraception of fruits of the same tree, and if it's entirely up to man as to whether sex will have any relation to procreation, you tell me why Freddie and Harry can't get a marriage license. Pastor Donald Sensing of Trinity United Methodist Church in Franklin, Tennessee wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal back in March, 2004, and he said, the people who are opposing same-sex marriage are a little late. So that issue was settled 40 years ago, when the walls of marriage were breached by the exception, the acceptance of the contraceptive pill. And so when we, we look at this, we say, well, what does, it, what does it really mean? God in his wisdom has, has chosen to depend on human cooperation for the creation of new citizens for heaven. And the contraceptive couple, by altering the nature of the act, deliberately prevent that creation. What they say to God is something like this. And we have to think about this. They say, look, God, for all we know, it may be your will that from this act of ours, a new person will come into existence who will live forever. For all we know, that may be your will, and we won't let you do it. That's awesome. That's why John Paul said contraception is so profoundly wrong as never to be justified. He said to think or say the contrary is equivalent to maintaining that in some situations it is lawful to deny that God is God. Catholics practice contraception at the same rate as everybody else. Parishes and schools are closing all over the country in great numbers because of the lack of students and parishioners. A fair response would be respectfully to say most reverend bishop or father You would not have this problem if you and your predecessors, over the past four decades and still today, had done your job of educating your people as to the evil of contraception and as to the entire positive teaching of the church on marriage and the gift of life. All right, right, let's wrap this up. I wanted to get a round of applause. I'm going to sit down. Uh, It took me a long time. Uh, uh, If you want to see... Yeah, let's, let's conclude this. If you want to see... The principles of the enlightenment and of contraception in action. Think about this. Last month, Newcastle scientists at Newcastle University in England announced that they had produced a designer embryo with the DNA of one man and two women. A child with two mothers. Now in 2002, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, who is now Benedict XVI, addressed this point, and he mentioned the passage in Genesis 3, which describes the posting of angels east of Eden with flaming swords to keep Adam and Eve and their descendants from eating of the tree of life. Before the fall, they could eat of that tree, which gave immortality. But as Ratzinger said, in their fallen condition, immortality would not be good, it would be perdition. Then he said this, and I'm gonna read it to you. Think about it. It's in the uh, text on uh, page 842, uh, I think. Uh, He said, People are now starting to pick from the tree of life and make themselves lords of life and death to reassemble life. Precisely what man was supposed to be protected from is now happening. He is crossing the final boundary. Man makes other men his own artifacts. Man no longer originates in the mystery of love by conception and birth, but is produced industrially, like any other product. Then he continues, I want you to listen to this. We can be certain of this. God will take action to counter an ultimate crime, an ultimate act of self-destruction on the part of man. He will take action against the attempt to demean mankind by the production of slave beings. There are indeed final boundaries we cannot cross. This is serious business. Nineveh repented, prayed, and was spared. Sodom and Gomorrah did not, and were destroyed. Those options could be ours. if we were looking at this whole thing in merely human terms, we would have to say our cause is is hopeless. But we don't do that. We don't rely just on our own strengths. And we don't know everything. Say Maximilian Kolbe said, and listen, don't get discouraged when bad things happen. As as Maximilian Kolbe said, said, God permits everything in view of a greater blessing. And we can learn from Father Walter Chizak, a Jesuit who went in, in 1940 he secretly went into the Soviet Union as a secret missionary. Of course he was arrested and he spent 23 years in the gulag. Let me tell you, very briefly, let me tell you something about this guy. He was a tough guy from Pennsylvania. His father was a coal miner from Shenandoah, Pennsylvania. Father Chizek, in the seminary, used to get up a half an hour early and dive into the ice-cold lake to prove to himself how tough he was. And in the Lubyanka prison in Moscow, they interrogated him for years to make him confess that he was a Vatican spy, and he fought them tooth and nail. And it came down to the final thing. The interrogator slid the confession over the table to him and said, sign or die. And Father Chizek caved. He signed every document they put in front of him without even reading them. And he got back to his cell, and he was crushed. And he, he was ashamed. He thought, how did this happen? And he had what he later described as a moment of conversion. What it was that he realized that he failed. Because he relied on Walter chiswick Instead of Christ. And he had that moment of conversion. He was totally at peace. And that later on, they, they handed him another document to sign to agree to become a Soviet spy within the church. And he just smiled and he said, no. And they didn't kill him. They sent him to the labor camps. But what we can learn from him, his cause for canonization is underway, but what, what we can learn from him is the importance of trust, and actually more important, uh, prayer and faith. He said what, what God wants—think this, this, about this—what God wants is an act of total trust, demanding absolute faith, faith in His existence, in his providence, in his concern for the minutest detail, in his power sustaining me, and in his love protecting me." So we trust God, we pray, especially to Mary, his mother and ours. You know, at Lepanto, the odds were so great against the Christian fleet that Las Vegas would have taken that bet off the boards. But they prayed the rosary, and she gave them the victory. So we are in a great time. It's a great time for you to be coming out of this great college. We are on the winning side. We know that. We trust God. God is not dead. He isn't even tired. So. Uh, I just want to thank you for the uh, privilege of being with you today. And uh, uh, just want to say God bless you, your families, and Christendom College. And God bless the United States of America. Thank you.